Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello, welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And we are the official podcast of statesidemadness.com. Polly, how's it going? Uh, things are good. Uh, happy to be doing another episode. Happy for many of the things that are going to be coming up with future episodes, too. So at the risk of getting overly specific, and because we want people to tune in, um, I won't mention what's up, but we've got plans. Ooh. <laughs> Hey, you went to a concert recently, didn't you? Uh, yes, in fact, and probably you might say the first of uh, the nearly post-COVID um, period. Yeah, I was in uh, Derry, New Hampshire, and uh, saw the English beat. How was it? Uh, it was fantastic, as, as usual. One thing particularly endearing about Dave Wakeling and his English beat is that they make it into northern New England very nearly every time they go out on a tour. So that's very much appreciated, very rare, you know, for a band of, of that sort of stature. So always a good time seeing them, always put on a good show, and there was no exception here. And I was lucky enough to meet a lot of folks that were remembering madness, kind of. I represented Stateside Madness, ran around talking to people, handing out pins, reminding them about what we're up to here, getting them hopefully to check out what we're doing. And not going to lie, I was promoting the idea of a 2023 tour pretty freaking hard. So yeah, you know, maybe more people get interested, maybe the better our chances. Oh, cool. So uh, maybe some of those people you met are even listening right now. So if so, hello to the English Beat fans from the uh, Derry, New Hampshire show. Absolutely. Hello. And thanks for being so kind as to let some random guy talk you in to listen to a podcast. Random, scary looking guy. <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've got a face for podcasting. Um, all right. What's up next, Lori? I think we have the communicator. All right, first up, a very special happy 64th birthday to Mike Barson, our favorite keyboardist. He was born on April 21st, 1958. So happy birthday, Mike. Absolutely. You don't look a day over 62. Also, a little bit of information about yours truly. 
us truly in all of stateside madness. So on Friday, May 27th in San Francisco in the Union Square area, details are still getting sorted out, we're gonna have a stateside madness fan get together. We'll have drinks, we'll have madness trivia, prize giveaways, and I will be there interviewing fans for the podcast. So we'd love to see as many people on the West Coast, well, you can really be from anywhere if you're willing to get there, but we'd really love to see some people come out, hang out, talk about madness, have some fun. And so in the days following, stay tuned to the Stateside Madness Facebook group for more details. I'm a little bit bummed out, Polly, because as you know, we were going to fly out there. That was going to be my first ever madness show in Oakland. And of course, the tour got canceled. So there's really no reason for us to fly out there. So uh, unfortunately, I will not be joining you. But maybe we can set up something remotely where I can... Uh, you know, Skype in. <laughs> how, how old is that? Do the kids say that anymore? Skype in? Does anybody <laughs> Skype anymore? Lori's going to be sending telegrams to us <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that sounds really, really cool. I hope we get a good turnout for that. That would be great. What time is it? Showtime. All right. So that was the communicator, folks. And, uh, you know, we haven't even said what we're talking about today. So what we're going to be talking about took place back in 1988. Maybe it's the album. Maybe it's the band. Maybe it's the side project. But whatever it is, it is the madness. And that's what we'll be talking about. Lori, kick it off. Okay, well, Madness in 1986, they've been working on an album. Now, I only recently learned about this. Have you heard about this, this Lost in the Museum? I have not. Okay, so this was the album they were working on after Mad Not Mad. Uh, they were in the studio. They did record Waiting for the Ghost Train. And they had put out with, uh, with their fan club, like a little magazine that was listing, hey, these are the tracks that we're gonna have on our new album, Lost in the Museum. And they had started to record some of them, but you know, as we've kind of talked about in past episodes, there, there, was, there were tensions, there were things going on and the band broke up before Lost in the Museum was finished. Many of the songs from Lost in the Museum ended up being reworked. So, the Madness was Carl, Suggs, Lee, and Chris. Mike had already left the band at this point, right? He left in the, the previous album. They did this without Betters and without Woody. So they kind of formed a quartet. And they decided on the name The Madness, saying, okay, this is a different band now. Right. I mean, I guess that's like uh, Jefferson Starship and then Starship. Right. Oh, we're a different band. But no, you're really not. Right. But unfortunately, this led to some bitterness 
I, I actually had seen an interview somewhere and I got to see if I can dig this up. Woody was saying in an interview, you know, if they just wanted us out of the band because they wanted to do this other stuff, they should have just said so. So he did say, when they reemerged as the madness, I thought it was a cop-out, a complete cop-out. I was hurt, but I didn't feel betrayed, just disappointed. And that's understandable. But Woody and Betters didn't lose too much time feeling sorry for themselves because they went on to join Voice of the Beehive. So also by this time, the band's label, Czar Jazz, uh, which was a sub-label Virgin Records, um, it had already dissolved. And so the band's contract then went directly with Virgin. They recorded the album at Liquidator Studios in London, housed coincidentally in the same building as Czar Jazz had been. And for the first time, the band was working without the producers Clive Langer and Alan Winstonley. They decided to produce it themselves. So this is actually really kind of timely because as you know, they just recently re-released The Madness on vinyl, like within the last week or two, right? That's right. And that's actually kind of cool because this was really a hard album for me to find. I ended up buying a CD copy used from an online store in Russia. And this was back maybe about seven or eight years ago. It was really, really hard to get my hands on a copy. So that's really cool now that this is going to be available, I think, for more people. So this is going to be a little bit more timely. So yay. Yeah, is right. Um, and, you know, speaking of the album and reissue, everybody will get a good look at the artwork. Now, the artwork is not without distinction itself. It was designed by comic book artist Dave Gibbons, who people might just remember from The Watchmen, the famous Alan Moore series of comic books, and uh, Rian Hughes as well. So, there we go. It's a pretty strong pedigree right there for the artwork. Uh, the singles, coincidentally, all included very similar um, style covers reminiscent of the cover of the album. For more or less, all the covers, the singles, and the album were intended to look like a face. And if you're looking at the artwork now, you understand that. You mentioned the pedigree of the two artists. I never would have guessed that by looking at the cover. Quite frankly, I think my five-year-old niece could have designed this cover. True. It's, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily them playing to their strengths, but uh, it's, it's an interesting cover nonetheless. Okay, so as I mentioned, the band members were Suggs, Lee Thompson, Chris Foreman, and Carl Smith. So they were known as The Madness. Now, they used a drum machine for most of the tracks. I think there were two tracks that they brought in a, a, a drummer. And there were a number of studio musicians brought in, including Steve Naive from Elvis Costello and the Attractions, and Seamus Biggin on keyboards, who we've talked about before. And there are also some uh, notable guest appearances, which we'll talk about in the individual songs. Now, the album release, and those of you who are getting it on vinyl will get the 10-track the release. The CD actually has 14 tracks. There's four bonus tracks. So we're going to talk about all 14 tracks, even though most of you are probably only going to be able to hear the 10 on your, on your LP. 
So the first track would be a Chaz Smash composition. It's Nail Down the Days. about nail down the days well you know i think we're we're off to a, a decent start here this is obviously carl on vocals you know i was thinking as i was listening to this again last night this song would feel right at home on mad not mad it's got the same kind of electronic sound that, that they were kind of starting to dabble with in the previous album i know uh you mentioned it was written by carl and uh, he said in an interview once, this one was a bit about being London Irish. That's what it's all about in a way, you know. On these great shores, I was born an immigrant to this city. I walked under the steel. What do you think of Nail Down the Days? Wow, I'm not going to try to give away the entirety of kind of like what I feel about the album. Um, and I think I might run the risk of repeating an awful lot in the way of critique or uh, commentary as we go through these songs. But I really felt like this was very, well, it's definitively 1988. Um, it is very reminiscent of the, like the Kenny Loggins uh, sort of sound of that time. Kenny Loggins, the danger zone. Uh, <laughs> gotta say it, gotta say it. And, uh, no uh, wonder you had mentioned um, Jefferson Starship. I thought it had a great deal of, um, you know, uh, similarities with that sound. So in my, in my notes, just because I, I want to prove how witty I am to people, um, I, you know, I said it was like Kenny Loggins and Grace Slick had a baby, uh, a neon green 80s mall baby at that. It's in a nutshell, you know, the very sound of, uh, you know, the year I graduated. It, you know, it's saved a little bit by the fact that there's some backing horns uh, provided by the Potato Five. Potato Five, it's a British ska band, right? Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar, that's Rick Walker, Andy Minion, Malcolm Buck, and Simon Driscoll. Four people in the Potato Five, but uh, nonetheless, um, you know, that, that saves the, the song a little, little bit, I think, by having an organic sound in there and not as heavy on the synth, I, I guess, as they could have gone. Okay, so next up, we have another Carl Smith composition. What's that? Let's listen. No pain, no fear, never feel the same again. That's right, upside. I've been awake on a cold sweat in bed. Crazy thoughts fill my head. Next thing, morning breaks. Hide my hands, control shakes. Dirty street, music in my mind, it's sweet Sad man, 
What's that? Well, um, as promised, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit repetitive. Um, I'm probably going to be forced to sort of name drop quite a bit as a way to sort of you know justify my comments. I thought this was like a very uh, Huey Lewis bluesy shuffle type song. Trust me, folks, I'm not trying to be lazy and just start naming other bands or things like that. But uh, nonetheless, in listening to the songs again and taking notes and doing some things like that. Ultimately, some things do pop in your head. And probably why it um, stands out so much like that is, you know, this is a departure from Madness, much of this album, as you'll find out as we start to review these things. So I can't rely too heavily on all the things I say about sort of the classic Madness sound. So there you go. Um, I'm kind of all right with the song. The song was the second single off the album, um, but no wonder it peaked at number 92 on the UK charts. So not a very auspicious spot. Lori, what do you have for what's that? Well, you mentioned Huey Lewis and you said, hey, I don't want to be name dropping. Well, Chris Foreman actually kind of was name dropping too when he was talking about this song. He called it a very substandard effort to emulate Bob Dylan's subterranean homesick blues. I thought it was an interesting comparison because I never would have made that connection, but I can kind of see it with the lyrics. What's that a fact? Bad debt, break back, small room, big time, rich man, over the moon. And I can kind of see where that rhythm is there. I had in my notes, you said it was kind of bluesy. I had uh, jazz inspired, but yeah, blues, jazz, there's definitely a lot of overlap. Uh, and this is Carl on vocals again. And, you know, I really like this song. I think that this is one of the stronger tracks on the album. Now, I know that this album was really maligned by a lot of fans because it was such a departure from what fans were accustomed to. We don't really hear, you know, that nutty sound in any of these tracks. But I, um, this one, I think, is a, an even bigger departure, a bigger leap than some of the other tracks. And I, I really dig it. I would love to hear a whole album of Chaz doing songs like this. The, the third song on the Madness album, it's one we've talked about before. It's I Pronounce You, and it's a Tomo, a Smash composition, along with Ronnie West, who we'll talk about in a minute. Happiness has been arranged for some time in July. Invitations have been sent, I'm so bitter I could cry. Congratulations, phone in from a long-lost friend For the big occasion, regretting that he can't attend And as family tradition is busy making up your mind Gallantly standing draped in his holy shroud God's representative mumbles to a typical crowd
this is probably the best known song off of this album, partly because it's the only one that actually had a music video and it was the first single off the album. It's a, it, it's a neat song. I know we've talked about this a bit. We talked about it, I think, when we did our episode on Tamo. Leah said in an interview, I offered it up after hearing how Indian parents would marry off their daughters to well-to-do men that they'd not even met prior, often living thousands of miles away. So it is about arranged marriage. And if you listen to the lyrics very closely, that comes through very strongly. The tune, the music itself was written by Carl, which he wrote on an acoustic guitar. And then he gave it to Lee to write the lyrics for, which is a little bit of an unusual arrangement. Usually it would be the other way around and Carl would be writing the lyrics, but uh, they did a little bit of a switch here and I kind of like the way that it turned out. And Ronnie West, like I mentioned before, he was a friend of Carl's and he had actually taught Carl to play guitar chords. I don't know if he was a direct songwriter, but nonetheless, he was given credit for the song. Now, the song was the lead single from the album, and it was released on February 25th, 1988. It did a little bit better than the previous song, What's That, that we just talked about, but it uh, only peaked at number 44 in the UK, so still not that great for a Madness release. You know, I love a couple things about this song. So we have Chris Foreman playing sitar, which if I'm not mistaken, was his first ever foray into that particular instrument. We have Lee Thompson on flute, which, you know, again, is a little bit unusual. The drum track is actually a machine, but if you watch the music video, if you look very closely in the video, they have John Hassler, the bed and breakfast man, playing the drums. So I thought that was kind of cool. So we've got Suggs on lead vocals, but we have Carl on backing vocals very prominently. And here again, we've got that beautiful harmonization that these two do together. There's something about the way their voices blend when they harmonize that is just, it's beautiful. I love it. And, and I, I want to hear more. So I think they did a really, really good job with the, the harmonies in this. Okay, next up is another Carl composition. Boy, he's really bringing out the, the songwriting in this particular album. He's really kind of dominating this album so far. Um, but next up is uh, one of Carl's songs. It's called Oh. Talk to me, Polly. Oh, okay. So, uh, well, we've got both Suggs and Carl uh, sharing lead vocals on this. You know, I, I think this um, is probably representative of what they were doing with the entire album, which is, you know, with the, with the loss of Woody and the loss of Betters, 
and the loss of bars. And, you know, they're relying very heavily on synthesizers, which were still, for the most part, um, in their infancy in the late 80s. Certainly had been around for a long, long time, but not uh, readily usable by a lot of people. And we all remember what the 80s were about with synthesizers. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, what I might refer to as sort of like the, the post craft work period of, of synthesizers. Um, you know, I, I, when I listen to this song, um, it's reminiscent of a lot of things. Uh, I think the thing it's most reminiscent of is um, that the Howard Jones's first album. Um, I see definitely a lot, a lot of similarities there. But I think it goes to show that someone like Howard Jones, who um, was very, very focused on uh, keyboards and synthesizers and spent the vast majority of his career, you know, uh, making it into a craft, the boys in the madness, they don't have that same sort of skill and nuance in what they're doing with synthesizers. You know, I didn't make that connection with Howard Jones, but now that you mention it, yeah, I hear it. I had in my notes, uh, Slave to the Rhythm which was Grace yeah, Jones. Yeah, I hear, I hear that very much here. Supposedly, the original idea for this song was to write a song that just went, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, if you remember this time period, this was just after Yellow did that song, oh yeah, which was like total synth and samples, right? Also on this particular song, we have Seamus Began on accordion. Now the accordion's pretty low in the mix. I had to listen to it a few times to really pick it out. I think my favorite line in this song is, I have a way of losing things and I've just heard the biggest joke of all. Which even the way that Carl is delivering that line, it, he's not taking himself too seriously. And I think that that's, that's good, I think, for this song. Now, um, Polly, do you remember you and I talked about this song briefly in episode 35, which was our sexy time for madness episode. I would urge our listeners to go back and listen to episode 35 because we got our hands on a demo version of this song, which we played a little bit of in episode 35. And it had some kind of naughty lyrics to it. The lyrics changed over time. Up next, we have a Suggs composition. It's In Wonder. With its precious cargo
All right, so that was In Wonder. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, that's actually a reworking of an unreleased 1986 Madness song, Winter in Wonderland. It does feature Chrissy Boy playing the synth axe. So there you go. They made managed to make a synthesizer of everything in those days. Have you seen, are you familiar with the synth axe? Oh, very, very much so. Uh, oh, okay. It, it, it's something that... Um, was uh, by that point was getting prominent use in a lot of the new album uh, metal bands. Judas Priest and uh, Iron Maiden were actually using them on tour, if you can believe that. Now, I was not familiar with the Synthax. I actually had to look it up, and there's a YouTube video where a guy's demonstrating it. And this thing, it's like, like this Frankenstein's monster of uh, an instrument. It's got like frets like a guitar, but then it's got synth and 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 it's like it's this weird looking thing and i don't know how somebody ever came up with this but uh props to chris for (laughs) using it on a on an album track we have suggs on vocals again i don't really care for this song that much i think uh you know this is one of the weaker tracks on the album the lyrics right tomorrow starts at midnight yeah no shit that's the, that's the definition of the word, Suggs. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I guess you, you got to try different things. As, as you're fond of saying, Polly, you got to see what sticks, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this, this song did absolutely nothing for me, literally from, you know, the word go. That peculiar stereo panning nonsense at the beginning that's really amateur studio trickery it just doesn't do anything um if you're able to get past that it's got that very very dated sound sort of the the synth sound uh a mock moroccan flute thing um it's it's though they're trying to um you know maybe uh, go back to one of their tried and true um tools in their toolkit like they did with Nightboat Cairo of doing a Middle Eastern sound. But what was great about Nightboat was that it was Middle Eastern, but it was authentic, live, you know, living, organic musicianship. This is just like a shitty synth, and I thought it fell really, really flat. There is one thing I do kind of like about it, though, and that's the middle eight. There's some really interesting keyboard play by Steve Naive in the middle, middle eight. But unfortunately, I don't think it's enough to save the song. Suggs has said about the song, he says, I was talking about communication, how often you talk and people don't really listen. The first lines are, don't talk to me in circles. Tell me something I understand. And there's so much things to say. Okay, next up, we have another Chaz Smash composition, Song in Red.
Okay. Hi, Polly. Hello. Tell me about so, Song in Red. <laughs> Song in Red. So, um, not that crazy about it. You know, it's it's just so very standard pop. Probably their biggest attempt to jump, you know, headlong into new wave stuff. Uh, the thing that really stands out for me is that Richard Butler style vocal. It's very much in, you know, borrowing. It's as though it's 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 not theirs. You know, it's uh, they're they're more or less trying too hard. You know, it's it's fair. It's you know, it's like I said, a standard pop song, but yeah, just doesn't grab me at all. Oh, see, I really like this one. You know, I, I think we mentioned this a little bit in the Carl Smith episode. He wrote the lyrics about a cousin of his who died at a young age. He said, I never identified a body. Then I went and identified my cousin's body with his oldest brother. That was the first time I'd seen someone dead. And I understood at that point, the transitory nature of life. And you hear that, especially in the, the lyrics, when I saw you lying, you looked as if you were sleeping. Now you're gone. It feels so cold. So we have these again, very kind of maudlin dark lyrics juxtaposed against, you know, a little bit more happier kind of up-tempo song that, you know, Madness has gotten so good at doing. And I honestly think this song would fit very nicely on like Wonderful or even the Liberty of Norton Folgate. I think that, you know, we we're really seeing the evolution of their sound. And I really like this. So the piano on this one is Steve Naive again. You know, he was with Elvis Costello and the Attractions. And then we have a Hammond organ, which is Seamus Began. And if you listen really closely, there's this really nice Chris Foreman guitar kind of in the background that's just kind of threading it all together. So this one, I think all the different in instruments blend very nicely together, but it's really the lyrics and the vocal that sell this one for me. So I really dig this one. All right, next one up. It's another Suggs composition. It's Nightmare, Nightmare. then Lori what do you know about Nightmare Nightmare? Well I know we've got a lot of guest artists on this particular track. It started off as a another unreleased Madness song that was originally called Remember the Day and the boys reworked it for the Madness. Chris Foreman said I really didn't like it so I worked the chords out like a reggae song and Suggs wrote some different lyrics and so it came out different. So the boys brought along a lot of their friends as well for Nightmare Nightmare. We've got Jerry Dahmer's playing piano and electric organ on the track. Earl Falconer from UB40's playing bass. What's not to like about that? And, and I think actually the guys thrive a little bit, particularly in this period where they've lost a couple of band members by this point. I think this uh, gave them a little bit more energy to feed off of working with um, some of the guests. 
Uh, I tend to like Nightmare Nightmare. I think it does, you know, kind of start off the album for me, really. Unfortunately, it's the seventh song, but this is really where the album starts to get good for me. Uh, I like this song. I, I'm getting a feeling here. You and I are going in two different directions, Polly. And as I'm listening to this album, I'm thinking to myself, there's almost two different bands here. You know, we have uh, the majority of the songs that are being sung by Suggs. Not all of them, but the majority of them are, you know, ska, reggae, kind of Calypso influenced, which is more what I think a lot of people are accustomed to with Madness. And then... I think a lot of the songs, especially the ones being sung by Chaz, are more kind of 80s, late 80s, early 90s, you know, synth pop. I mean, like almost like a, an early Depeche Mode kind of vibe to some of these. And those are the ones that I like. And the ones that you seem to like, I think are more like the more traditional reggae ska type, you know, what most people would associate with madness. And I think that this uh, split, this kind of two personalities, maybe this is part of the reason why this album was not very popular. Because, it, you know, I, I'm all about the experimentation and stuff, but it, it, there's not a lot of consistency to it. And I, part of the reason might be they brought in a bunch of different mixers and producers. And, and I think it's just kind of like a too many cooks in the kitchen kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. and, and again, you know, that's kind of not looking at the individual song, but like looking at how it fits into the bigger picture of the album. Yeah, I think they also might have been well suited by putting the um, Lost in the Museum behind them and writing fresh as a uh, you know, as a collective compared to, well, we've got this shit sitting around. What are we going to do with it? You know? mm. I definitely, though, think that there's a bit of sort of forecasting what crunch is kind of going to be all about with this song. And I didn't make that connection with crunch, but yeah, no, I, I see that now. I think you're right. But that said, I really don't like this song. I don't care for when white people do reggae. It does not work for me. I don't know if it's because that they don't they don't have like the the Jamaican patois or they don't have the the soul of it or whatever. I mean, it's the same reason I don't like UB40. It just it it doesn't work for me. So send your hate mail to statesidemadness at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this one you can have this one. This one doesn't work for me. That's okay. We're 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 uh, we're well. Uh, versed well used to uh, disagreeing about songs no we aren't sure we are no, we're not it happens often Lori. <laughs> behave oh i'm being have okay so next up we have thunder and lightning so this was written by suggs and chris foreman let's listen
boy, Polly, we got a lot more guest musicians on this one too, don't we? That we do. So we're looking at Bruce Thomas. He had been with Elvis Costello at that point. Lorenzo Hall, he's a reggae performer. Anthony Lee Bryan, Robbie Ellington, uh, reggae, but more in uh, the dance hall vein. You know, bringing a little bit of liveliness to the song. Uh, fair enough song, I think. Uh, you know, we've got Suggs and Chris working together again. That never really hurts. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're starting to get a little bit more into, I think, maybe what I'm looking for in the style of the genre of work that they're doing. Um, and I would say, I think this is probably the most madness sounding song, I think, on the album up to this point, at least. Yeah, you know, I think you're probably right there. I have in my notes that this was Motown influenced. And we know mm -hmm. that Motown was a very big influence on Madness and also on Chris in particular. So we also have, again, Steve Naive on piano. We have Seamus Began on keyboard and Hammond organ here. And of course, we have Suggs on vocals. Now, this sounds to me like it's about the end of a relationship. And the lyrics are, don't look back or make a sound. Change your mind in any way. I wouldn't want to turn you around, even if I thought you'd stay. Uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10, maybe this is about a six for me. You know, it's better than some of the tracks, but it is by no means, you know, anywhere near uh, my favorite ones uh, on this album. All right, up next, not a particularly comfortable title to read, but it is Beat the Bride. And it is a Tomo and Chaz smash composition. Self-respect, dirt behind the ears Gun is all that sense of pride Run up with your tears then Lori what do we know about this particular song well you know you mentioned that the title's kind of uncomfortable well you know that's that's the subject matter so Lee explained this one came from a real life event of a family member who was being imprisoned for long periods by her overpowering partner it all worked out in the end after a bungled post office robbery involving her captor Man, I want to know more about this situation here. I want to know what, what, what's going on with the post office robbery. But, you know, once again, we have Lee drawing on his personal experiences and the experiences of his loved ones. We got a lot of uh, guest artists on this one too, don't we, Polly? Uh, that we do, yeah. Again, so we've got Jerry Domers playing the organ, playing hi-hat as well. And, you know, he's kind of bringing the Calypso vibe to the song. Again, we've got Earl Falconer playing bass on it. I'm a little bit better with this song. I'm, I'm a fan of the sort of uh, staccato saxophone happening at the beginning. 
and, oh, yeah. and and that is very much like we you know like we said there's uh some similarities happening to um what we would ultimately see in crunch but that is straight out of i'm a policeman you know very much very much the exact same technique used on that so uh yeah it's it's uh pretty cool i, I do tend to favor those things where they take to try to take melodic instruments and um, use them to sort of supplant a percussion instrument. And that's kind of a cool thing. You know, I, I'm totally with you on the sax. I mean, that is very distinctly Lee Thompson. There's no mistaking it when you hear that intro. I think the drum machine in this song is a little much in places. There's a couple places where it's like, dude, this is, this is very clearly, you know, an eighties drum machine. But other than that, yeah, this has actually turned out pretty good, I think. So we have Suggs on vocals, we have Carl on backing vocals. And now if you look at the liner notes, I thought this was interesting. Suggs is credited with the piano on this song, but it also says piano solo is by Chris Foreman. So we really have the boys branching out and trying all kinds of new skills and, and, and seeing what they can do. I think this one actually probably could have been a single. I think yeah, it could have been. I wouldn't disagree. No, I, yeah. think, I think it could have been. Okay. So there, and we're actually agreeing on something there, aren't we? We are. All right. Let's go back to fighting again. Okay. All right. Next up, we have Gabriel's Horn. Gabriel's Horn, another song written by Chaz Smash. Polly, what are your thoughts? You know, I didn't, uh, I actually didn't even manage to take notes on this one. It didn't, it didn't really do a lot for me. I was trying not to say exactly the same thing I'd said about other songs. So in that respect, I don't think there's a lot of definition going on here. I think it's uh, just more in the same vein of um, what they were doing, which I think is pulling from influence from uh, what everybody else was doing around them. Okay. So you said you don't have notes. I got a ton. <laughs> so don't worry, my <laughs> friend, I got you covered. All right. So this one started off as an unreleased 1986 Madness song. And there was actually an early demo version that they put on the 1992 reissue of the single House of Fun. So if you happen to have that single in your collection, the B-side is like an early demo of Gabriel's Horn. Uh, supposedly, this song was inspired by Talk Talk's Life is What You Make It, and the bass line was lifted off of The Selector by The Selector. Now, the story goes that as they were recording this at Liquidator Studios, supposedly Tears for Fears was in the adjacent studio. And then they heard it and they commented to the boys about, wow, you're taking the band in a new direction. How cool. 
so that was interesting to, to get that kind of feedback from Tears for Fears, because, you know, if you think about, you know, synth pop 80s, yeah, Tears for Fears, they were, they were huge. Speaking of synth, so we have Ian Prince is the name of the gentleman on the synth, and he's also playing piano on this one. And we have Chaz on vocals. The, the lyrics are, are interesting, right? So Gabriel's horn, this is obviously a biblical reference, right? Archangel Gabriel. The lyrics are, I will say that there's blood on my hands. I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. I will ask my God to forgive if I can, if I can, if I can. Gabriel come down from above. So, I mean, the lyrics are kind of dark and kind of, I don't want to necessarily say violent because they're not like explicitly violent, but I thought it was interesting. Now, this is where my Catholic school upbringing comes into play. That's not something I would associate with Gabriel. I would associate it with Michael. Michael's the archangel who is um, the, in battle, right? Like the in, in Revelation and everything like that. Gabriel's purpose was really more to make announcements, you know, to speak for God, like saying, you know, hey, Virgin Mary, you're going to have a baby, right? So that, that was a little bit interesting. And I know Carl probably being, uh, being a good Irish boy, probably, you know, had, had some of the same upbringing there, maybe, as far as religion is concerned. I'm getting off on a weird tangent. I didn't like this song at first, but it grew on me. And the more I listen to it, the more I think I like it. And Chris's guitar he's shredding if you listen really closely it's got like kind of a heavy metal vibe like he's channeling acdc or something and it's really unexpected you know we're really chris is usually to me more rhythm guitar so you know hearing that and that really kind of gives it an edge it gives it a really kind of darker edge to it and and i like that so you know like i said i think this one grew on me so that was actually the last track on the official album release. Now, as I mentioned, there were uh, four bonus tracks on the CD, and we're going to talk about those as well. So what's the first bonus track, Polly? So first up, it would be a Suggs and Chrissy Boy composition. It's 11th Hour. So 11th hour, why don't you give me your take on the song? Okay, where to start? It kind of seems like it's about someone's death. It feels like I knew Robert Blink, even though I didn't know his name. He was so nearly over 21 that he could never feel the same. Now I got to tell you, I did everything I could to, to try and research and find out who is Robert Blink. And I could not find anything, you know, any like important historical personage or anything. 
I have no idea who he is. He might not even be a real person, but it does kind of sound like it, it might be about the person's death. So this was another one of those unreleased 1986 Madness songs that the boys ended up reworking and re-recording as The Madness. Backing vocals again are Lorenzo Hall, Anthony Lee Bryan, and Robbie Ellington, whom you mentioned previously. We have Seamus again on keyboards. Interestingly enough, there's no bass on this song. The last thing I want to say about this, and I was really thinking about this last night, you know, I couldn't sleep. So I put this album on, put on my headphones and just kind of immersed myself in the album. And I started to think at this song, wow, Suggs's singing has come such a long way. His singing on this song, I think is, is the best that his, his voice has ever been, you know? And, and I mean, his early stuff, you know, it was okay. He kind of, you know, you could hear he's kind of having fun with it and messing it around, but he had really at this point become a very, very polished singer. And I, that is the part I think I am most impressed about with this song. Yeah, you know, it's it's a solid song. Um, probably one of my, you know, favorite on the album. It's interesting you say there's actually not anybody credited for playing bass. I do believe that's uh, just being played on the synthesizer, but the bass line itself is actually very nearly the same as Heard It Through the Grapevine. So anybody wants to go back and listen to that, and uh, no wonder, it's a, it's a very Motown-inspired song. Okay, next up we have Be Good Boy, and this was written by Lee and Chris. Let's listen. Be Good Boy, Polly. I try. Um, so Be Good Boy, it's uh, another madness song, not necessarily one that had been being saved for the Lost in the Museum album, but it's one that they had been toying around with. They had played it on tour in 1986. Same group of folks, Lorenzo, Anthony, Robbie, backing vocals. You know, Lee had said at one point that this was about teaching your siblings right from wrong, you know, with good manners, decency, respect. It's about having pride, dignity, trying to do your best wherever and whatever it takes and not letting those down that care. Yeah, you know, fair enough uh, so far as the song goes. Uh, it's another one here. It certainly does not really grab you and command your attention right off the bat. No wonder it hadn't made the original cut. But, uh, you know, it's fine. Of course, it's included as a bonus. What are your thoughts, Lori? Well, um, so we have Suggs on vocals again. Steve Naive on keyboards. And again, there's no drum. This is a drum machine. There's a guy on bass. His name is Big George. I don't know if you've heard of him before, Polly. 
he was best known for doing the soundtrack for the British version of The Office. And uh, he had some other like television song credits to his name. So he's on bass. Big George Webley is the guy's name. You know, this song was, it's okay. It's listenable. It, it's, it's better than a lot of the other tracks, I think. But there's this one point towards the end. There's a, a weird sound effect that kind of comes from out of nowhere. It's very jarring. It sounds to me like a garbage disposal. And that takes me out of the mood and out of the song where it's like, what, what the hell was that? I don't know what that's doing there. That, that makes me a little bit crazy. I don't like if I don't understand what the purpose of something is. But otherwise, it's a decent song. Take that out and, and I'm comfortable with it. Up next, we've got a Chaz Smash and we've got a Suggs composition. It is Flashings. So flashings, you know, my take on it right off the bat is that they're trying again, and they've tried this before, you know, particularly on Mad Not Mad, but they're again trying to pull off that sort of electro soul crooning that, uh, ah, boy, it just falls a little short. It, it's a, a little disingenuine. Uh, maybe what I'd say, it's similar to your comment about, you know, hearing white guys trying to do reggae. Speaking of which, if that's your take on it, we should never, never, never do a Judge Dredd episode. You would hate that. But um, yeah, uh, you know, to me, it's it's them out of their element and, and not one that they're going to, um, you know, immerse themselves in and pull off anytime real soon. What about you, Lori? Well, there's part that I like and part that I don't like. All right. So we've got Chaz on vocals and his vocals are just so smooth and sensual and sexy i mean even just listening to the lyrics i mean tumbling on the moment slow falling back together yet in our heat there are birds upon the barbed wire they are witness to our love a couple passing by us recall that's the way it was for them and then i have in my notes is this about making love at a picnic i mean lyrically oh, beautiful but it's a shame that they've got to back it up with this awful drum machine and synthesizer loop. I think if they were to take this song, take Chaz's vocal and get like a proper band behind him, I think the song really has a lot of potential. But man, just the, the, the lyrics and his voice are just like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right, so finally, we have a song called 4BF, which Lee wrote. Let's listen. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Polly, what do you think of 4BF? Well, um, the only time I think I um, have, have heard this before, Suggs does a high falsetto note on this song. And that definitely stood out. You know, I, I enjoy the song. I think this is probably, for me, the best example of where Madness had been trying to develop their sound into something new, certainly with instrumentation, but still has a Madness type sound to it. So to me, if they could have emulated this across eight tracks on the album, it would have been a hit. You know, no fault for them trying to tr do something different, but you know, what's the madness sound? Well, we've talked about that a bunch and you can't really nail it down to one thing. It's certainly not all ska, certainly not all pop, it's certainly not punk, it's certainly not, you know, pub band. You know, they dabbled in many things all along, but somehow managed to maintain that personality of madness. To me, this song still has that personality of madness, but like we said, you know, the instrumentation is now updated. So I think this was the formula that they should have gone with really across the whole album. Well, this was a song that I guess they actually started playing on the Mad Not Mad tour. So back in what, 85? 4BF actually stands for for Brian Ferry, who was the lead singer of Roxy Music, as you know. It was actually kind of like an homage to the Roxy Music song called 2HB which stood for two Humphrey Bogart. So they were kind of using that same naming convention, right? Lee, we know, was a big Roxy Music fan. And uh, I know he cited Andy McKay from Roxy Music as one of his big influences. He wrote the lyrics about Brian Ferry, right? The foundation member of a space age group who crooned his way to my heart, who took the breath of young men and women has left us for a brand new start. So this is about Brian leaving the band. And Lee had said in an interview, you know, Mr. Ferry left Roxy Music without informing the band. And they just happened to read about it. I can remember thinking about Mike's departure when tapping the tune out, although Mr. Barson was more honorable. I can't imagine, you know, being in a band and having to read in like the trade papers that your lead singer has quit. But I can see where Lee could be, you know, making that same parallel because Brian Ferry was so pivotal to the, the foundation and success of Roxy Music. And Mike Barson was, you know, one of the founding members and so pivotal to the early success of the band. So I can see where there's some parallels there. So not only I think is he paying tribute to Roxy Music, I think he's also kind of commenting a little bit on, on their own loss of, of Mike. We have Suggs on lead vocal again, and we have Chaz and backing vocals, which I think works again really, really well. We have Big George on the bass again. So he's on two songs on this album. And as I'm listening to this, even though I think lyrically, this is a really beautiful tribute, musically, it is really missing something. It feels almost Spartan to me. Where I'm, when I think Roxy music, I think the opposite of that. I think, you know, these big lush keyboards and sounds and, you know, and this song doesn't convey that at all. I mean, I guess there's a difference between paying homage to a band and copying their sound. I, I get that. But I just feel like there's something missing here. 
that, that there needs to be something else. You don't agree? No, uh, no, I, I agree. It doesn't, um, uh, you know, hearken to the Roxy Music sound by merit of what they're doing. Roxy Music, of course, did, like you said, the big lush experimental music, but it was all played by, um, you know, very talented individuals, even though, you know, they were heavy on keyboards, it wasn't reliant on, you know, synthesizer trickery, really. So, you know, it's two different elements. Um, and fortunately, they, they, the two elements parted ways on this particular song. All right, well, that concludes the album. Well, so this album was just kind of viewed as a flop. I know Chris Foreman had said that we're gonna produce it ourselves, we're recording in our own studios, it'll be really cheap. Then we ran into difficulties. It was like, I want so-and-so to mix it, and we spent a fortune in the studio because the engineer had a week mixing it at about a grand a day. So in the end, we spent a fortune. So the album peaked at number 92 on the UK chart, and it stayed in the top 100 for only two weeks, which is really disappointing, especially for four guys that had had so much success up until this point. So as a result of this, Virgin dropped the band, and then they disbanded. Now, as we know, uh, Lee and Chris would stay in Liquidator Studios and start to record for Crunch, which was the subject of our previous episode. Uh, Suggs and Carl would both kind of go on to do their own solo and side projects. So, I mean, it wasn't the end, but I think it was really kind of a reality check for the boys that, uh, you know, maybe this success this madness money machine isn't always guaranteed, you know? No, you're, you're not wrong at all. And I think this album really, well, maybe I should preface it by saying, I actually don't find it a bad album at all. If you factor in a couple of things, you know, take it for what it is. Um, it's got two strikes going against it at this time. It's got the band had dissolved, although in this respect, they can kind of did dissolve. They, they took four of the guys and they just tried to do that, you know? You know, on the other hand, they were obliged to try to do something different. Be the same, but be different. Challenging at best. And you compound that with all the emotions of having really Madness in its classic lineup being no more. And then in their effort to be different, they brought along the 1980s synthesizers and drum machine. Now, I don't want to be too hard on them. Think back to that era. You know, this has been many, many years since the early synthesizers of the Who's Baba O'Reilly era, where you had to be practically a scientist to run those things. And here comes inexpensive machinery that comes on the market. And all of a sudden, um, if you were lacking in a string section, if you were lacking in a horn section, if you were wanting to uh, just have a completely out there modern space age sound, there's one machine that does the whole thing. And all of a sudden the bass player can get on it, the guitarist can get on it, and people can really round out their sound with something new and different. Of course, the problem was everybody did that. And the other problem was, um, you know, when you listen to a drum machine in particular, you're overwhelmed 
being one of the first few people to even hear such a thing, saying, oh my God, that does sound like a tom, that does sound like a snare, that does sound like a symbol, and you mean you can program it, have it ahead of time, not deal with the annoying fucking drummer? Everybody was in love with the idea. But as we know from 40 years down the road, it does not sound right. It does not sound like a tom. It does not sound like a snare. It doesn't have that charming little imperfections where somebody's a thousandth of a second off. You know, it's a very, very dated sound, as is all synthesized music from the 1980s. I mean, you made a good point of uh, mentioning um, Vince Clark era Depeche Mode uh, versus Martin Gore era Depeche Mode. Uh, when Vince Clark left Depeche Mode, it went from being straight synthesizer pop to a proper five-piece rock band being played on synthesizers. And that's when synthesizers started to grow up. When you listen to 1986 to 1988 to, oh, to probably close to 1990, it does sound juvenile and tinny. I mean, that's this whole album. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but they didn't know better and nobody else knew better. Their peers didn't know. We wouldn't know for a long, long time just how these vintage albums sound. So. I really do appreciate that the guys are branching out and experimenting with new sounds, especially Chris, you know, the sitar, the synthax, you know, he was trying piano at one point. I love the fact that they're experimenting. I don't know that every experiment necessarily warrants being released on an album, however. I think that that's what I would leave it at. And, and then, as I said previously, it really kind of sounds like two different albums and somebody just kind of took the deck and shuffled them. You know, where, you know, if it were like, you know, one side of the album was this kind of synth, blues, jazz, jazz smash stuff. And the other side was the, the Suggs, ska, reggae, calypso type stuff. That to me, I could get behind. The track order doesn't feel right to me. You know, it, it feels like it was just kind of mixed randomly. I know that's not the case. And whoever did come up with the track order, I'm sorry. But it just, there's a disconnect there for me. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, both of its time and of their time. You know, this is kind of what they had to do, I think. Um, and I don't think they necessarily knew how it was going to age. And nonetheless, this is the, the album we were left with. You know, a lot of these songs are a lot better than I remember them being. I mean, I remember listening to it at first and kind of putting it away for a few years and not listening to it again. But now as I'm listening to it, in retrospect, I think some of these are rather good. Not all of them. But you know what I'm going to ask you next, Polly? I don't know. Liar. Now I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite track and what is your least favorite track? So I think my favorite track would probably be Beat the Bride. Just going on sound alone. To me, that was something to look forward to. Uh, and my least favorite, I think, would um, be Good Boy. Just, I think, like I said earlier, it just, I don't even really remember it. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Well, mine, my favorite song, I think, is Song in Red. And I know that you did not like that song, but I just think it, it, it's beautiful. Lyrically, it's a beautiful tribute to his cousin and such a beautiful melody. 
So that would be my favorite. I would say my least favorite would probably be In Wonder. So take, take that as you will. Polly, I'm changing it up a little bit for you for the closing song. Okay. All right. So originally for our listeners, the plan was I was going to play the B side to I pronounce you, which was patience. This was never released on any albums. Okay. So this was only a B side and patience as the B side to I pronounce you was for all intents and purposes, an instrumental. I think there might be a vocal buried really deep down in the mix that you can barely hear, but it's pretty much an instrumental. But Polly, since I sent that to you, I did manage to find another version of it with a vocal track. Somebody released a bootleg madness album that I think was called like the lost album. That's the name of the bootleg. And this was on the bootleg. So this is actually the version with the vocals, which is arguably much better, less techno. And you probably will recognize this, Polly, because this was covered by Thierry Arnold and Judge Fred in the Mad Not Cancer. If our listeners recognize it at all, that might be the version they recognize. So we're going to close it with that. So Patience, which was written by Carlin Suggs. We're still working on a few ideas for our next episode. I think, Polly, you're working on a couple things. I'm working on a couple things. And I think at this point, it's a race to see which of us gets there first. That's right. So we're, uh, we promise we're going to stay on track. We will have an episode in two weeks. Uh, we've got a lot, a lot of fun things in the works that I hinted at earlier. But the funner they are, as it turns out, sometimes more complicated it is to pull it off. So just stay tuned. Can I tell them that we have a couple cool interviews that we're working on? Can I tell you can them that tell much? Them. You don't say who. I'm not. I don't <laughs> want to jinx it. I don't want to jinx okay. it. We're hoping to have a couple interviews so you're not just going to be hearing our two, you know, blah, blah, blah. Voices. Yeah, yeah. That gets hey, old, I'm sure. One last thing I want to say before we sign off here. Danielle in Florida recently started listening to our podcast. And so she was making a six-hour road trip. And so she did a marathon of Stateside Madness episodes on her road trip. I can't even imagine Polly, somebody being in a, a closed vehicle for six hours listening to you and me, but uh, she did it. Wow. So thank you for listening, Danielle. Shout out to Danielle in Florida. And uh, we hope you keep listening. So everybody. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, everybody, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks with something cool. We don't know what yet, but it'll be cool. So it's a goodbye for me. And that's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness.
vision. There's something missing.